podcasting from the world's most livable city, Melbourne. This is the Your Career Down Under Show, a podcast dedicated to help newly arrived skilled migrants and settled migrants with their career and employment issues. We interview recruiters, career coaches, HR experts and employers who share tips, techniques and insights to help you land a job quickly and rapidly advance your career. Good afternoon, everyone. And sorry, I don't know what what went wrong in the first instance. And thank you for sticking by. Uh, this is uh, Naishad Gadani, and I'm the co-founder of this uh, Career Care Package show. And today is our 107th episode, and we are tackling an important topic today: career change, or career transformation, career transition. And we are speaking with Russell Johnson, who is the founder of EPR careers um and you know we could not find anyone better than talked about career change somebody who has changed a lot of career and who's changed a lot of people's careers as well so here we are speaking to russell johnson uh and he's a veteran in our industry so russell before i welcome you let's welcome caroline brown the co-host of the show thanks nash and yeah <laughs> Fantastic to be here. Feels weird popping back up on the screen, but anyway, here we are. So, Russell, um, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it was really fascinating your career journey from being a minister um, to now, you know, founder of Russell Johnson with a whole lot of changes in between. And um, I guess a great place to start would be perhaps to get you to share your career journey and how you came to be doing what you do now in the career space. Okay, well, to do that, uh, thank you, Caroline. Caroline, I have to go right back uh, many, many decades. Actually, uh, when I was a when I was a boy, uh, I was growing up here in Melbourne, and I had a pretty clear vision of my career. I was uh, I felt very privileged to be going to Melbourne High School, and uh, I was uh, basically clear about what I wanted to do with my career. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to inspire young people uh, as I was being inspired by my teachers there. So. Uh, so I thought I had it all sorted, and uh, then we had a, a family event. I was the oldest son in a large family, and um, we had uh, we had illness. Uh, there'd been also a very very serious injury within the family, and so on. And uh, it was a combination of events that meant I had to go out and get an income. As the oldest son, I was taken out of school at the age of fourteen. I started my first full time job on my fifteenth birthday. That gave me. That gave me something that I wanted, uh, which wasn't quite what I'd had in mind. It wasn't certainly not going to be a teacher, but I was going to do something worthwhile for my family. And so over the next few years, I got to the point where I could get my family into a home of their own. I had a number of younger siblings and uh, it gave, uh, gave me an opportunity to do something meaningful. And it took about a decade to do it. But by the end of that time, I'd done that. and. I thought I now I need, need to figure out where I'm going to go with my career because I, by then I saw the career teaching the teaching career as being kind of dead. I was already you know, 24 and um, and I need to do something else. I don't know what it is, but uh, went off and studied in the UK for the next four years. And because I didn't know where I wanted to go, uh, but I was studying at an institution that was affiliated with a church and they knew where they wanted me to go. Uh, I, I ended up as a minister of religion in Africa. 
And that was a uh, was kind of a serendipitous thing in many respects. I mean, more, in more than one way, it was a very meaningful, very, very personally meaningful career for me. But also, uh, in the course of my studies at the at institution, I met a young lady that I wanted to marry, and uh, we just a couple of months ago now just had our 50th wedding anniversary. So that's all gone well, and we have a number of lovely grandchildren all around Melbourne and so on. And uh, so we're, you know, in many respects, it's been absolutely wonderful, but there's been a lot of transition along the way. I spent four years in that role as a minister, and uh, finally acknowledged it was only a partial fit, and I couldn't sell for a partial fit. I needed to do something that was completely focused on where I really wanted my career to go. I honestly didn't know what it was. I simply knew that it wasn't going to be that, and I couldn't stay there. Uh, because total conviction was required for that. So, so I left it behind. Because my wife is American, we went to the US to live. I spent the next 15 years in the US and uh, I became a senior executive. I largely stumbled around and fumbled around and fell into franchising, which was uh, really uh, growing quite rapidly in the US at the time. I ended up joining uh, a chain, uh, a restaurant chain that had been floundering for the last decade. It hadn't grown, and it was uh, being written up in the nation's restaurant press to the extent it ever got any publicity at all as the chain that should have been, should have been, it looked like it was never going to be really successful. And um, so over the next few years, I had the opportunity to transform it in one of the world's fastest growing restaurant chains. I started as director of franchising, I wound up as senior vice president, uh, number two executive of the company, and uh, built it to the point where we were opening a new restaurant every 39 hours or so. Uh, we were being uh, written up independently in the part of the press that evaluated that sort of thing, as being in the top 10 of the 3,000 or so rest, uh, franchise businesses in the US at that time. And, uh, and so it was a very uh, stimulating thing for a period of time. But, it had actually served to provide meaning up to a point because what I needed to do when I left the ministry, I was as close to dead broke as it's possible to be virtually. We had a we had a little bit of money. It was basically from the sale of our furniture. That's all we had. We didn't even have a, I didn't even have a car of my own or anything like that. So that was enough to uh, uh, to get us out of Africa and kind of uh, into the US. We went and, uh, we went and settled down there and anyway. Naturally, and finally reached the point where once money was no longer an issue, it was no longer interesting. I wanted to, uh, I was looking for something meaningful, and I finally realized I had to leave it behind. And I told my vice presidents and my family and my friends, I'm, I'm going to leave this behind, I'm going to find what I want to do. And we eventually came back to Australia. I ended up taking four and a half years off to figure out what I wanted to do. Um, and I started doing this work. I started doing this work back in 1992 because I'd actually become aware that the reality was most executives were not any clearer than I was, but most of them were feeling kind of trapped in their careers and uh, not necessarily so much trapped, but simply it's about probably as good as we get. And I wanted something more than that. I wanted something more deeply meaningful. So that's what got me into this work. I've been doing it for 28 years now. Mm. It's a real, it, it's an interesting journey, isn't it? Because what you say, I think, resonates with a lot of the people um, I work with, or with me, thinking about people that I work with from time to time. And a decision around careers is around what people don't want to do versus actually knowing what they, they want to do. Um, would you say that's, that's very much the common thing when people come and work with you, that they know what they don't want, but they, it's harder for them to kind of pinpoint what they actually do want to do? 
Absolutely, it's a normal human condition. I think uh, more people, a lot more people, know what they don't want to do than most really do know what they do want to do. And yeah. uh, and the executive work and what because I work with executives and professionals, I, I think particularly it's true in that space where we can we start out and we've got a growth journey of whether it's in the world that we have to provide that, but at a certain point along the way, our interest is there. Uh, the, the world of work wants us to just keep on doing what we're good at because we're profitable at that point. Yeah. We're very profitable. From our point of view, we actually have an imperative to keep on growing, but we've also, we've also bought into the whole uh, sort of substance of, a, uh, of a, a life that's about a lifestyle and so on and so, so people end up basically feeling well I'm trapped but I can't afford to do anything else I guess this yeah. is as good as it's going to get and that as good as it's going to get is actually the beginning of the end because from there on their careers lose the motivation the motive power that allows people to keep on growing if we don't keep on going, there's a saying from my old industry, from Ray Kroc, who was the uh, person who built McDonald's, uh, and it basically goes, that you're either green and growing or white and rotting. And I just mm. think that's the danger, that's the danger of, a, of a career that on the face of it is successful. Once it gets to a kind of a, a midpoint, if we don't have a motivating vision for the future that will drive us to keep on growing, we won't keep growing. And that's, the, that's, that's when the logic starts. Mm. Sir, you'd like to say please? No, no, no. I think uh, I was just going to comment when you started your career. I was actually in HSC at that time, so I can, I can't even <laughs> fathom the learning that you had in last twenty-eight years. I was doing my year twelve back in India in nineteen ninety-two and uh, did not know what did I want to do, and I only. I kind of got a sense of what I want to do it was just in 2009 uh, when I came here. But I just wanted to make a comment. It just, you know, you know, you know, it, it is just absolutely fascinating to to peek your thinking around this because I think you must have seen at least three radical uh, kind of you know downfall in the economy, starting with 90s, the the recession in Australia in 90s. Then in the dot com burst. Then in 2008-9 the GFC, and the current COVID-19 uh, you know situations. So before before we get you know Caroline's question, if I can, we just ask you to, to tell us what have you seen different this time in terms of how people are being affected in COVID-19. Is it different from the previous time, and what are your observations around that? Well, it is interesting, Richard. Uh, I started doing this work back in that uh, the four meetings were session we had to have back in uh, 1992. The session was still going strong at that stage, and uh, people were just looking for jobs. And uh, I thought, oh, this is terrible. Uh, this is terrible. This is resulting in vast, immense waste of human potential because uh, if none of us can do our best at just doing something that's just about making a living, uh, we need a compelling vision and so on. But what I've seen at this point is some of the same sort of thing. I think it's uh, in some respects not quite as bad as it was. We're more prosperous nation now than we were then. A lot of people have got choices if they really want to exercise them and, uh, and I think there's more awareness uh, of the imperative of doing something that we really believe in, something that is deeply, deeply motivating to us, and uh, and have something where we can say, look, 
if we can, I think there's a lot more awareness now, the idea that we really need to start with a compelling vision. And I see a lot of people who are still aiming for that, even if they're feeling a little bit trapped at the moment, but still motivated by it. That, that for me is exciting, that there is that starting point. Hmm. Is now a good time to make a radical change, do you think? Because I know a lot of people, I think the ABC, the 7.30 report, had a feature on the future of work and they were interviewing quite a few people and there was one guy on there that had been in print sales or print marketing and was thinking about, okay, going into um, sort of aged care or disability care. And it seemed to me quite a radical sort of move to make maybe based on what's available versus what he could be doing. And he was in his early, early 50s. What are your thoughts on that kind of move? Like, is it, it seemed like a quick decision to make based on the circumstances. And what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that that's a wise thing to do? Or? Well, this is, uh, this is about the, uh, the organisation and the sequence of between clarity, strategy and tactics. Yeah. Sometimes you might have to make a tactical move. Uh, a tactical move is one where we basically say, look, I want to get out of the field that I'm in. I don't yeah. want to put myself to that any longer. Let me try something different and so on. It's not necessarily a great solution, but uh, if you've got to have an income, uh, as most people do, um, then it's not fatal. And we can we can start again if we need to. But the general principle would be, as far as possible, to operate from clarity about what we want and mm -hmm. then in order to build the future we want and then to go on to the tactics. And so I think uh, my own experience of this is for people who are reasonably uh, successful in what they've done already, and, uh, and I'm privileged and fortunate to be able to work with people mostly in that situation, they really have a level of, of success behind them. What is really important is to recognise that there are steps be taken that can allow us to go where we really want to go with our careers, even when it seems like everything's flat and nothing's happening around us. The truth of the matter is there's all sorts of potential bubbling under the surface. We're at a time of a really massive change, but it doesn't it doesn't all bubble to the surface right away. Right now, uh, a lot of people are just kind of gone to ground in their careers and organisations are just sort of holding on. Uh, I see a lot of my clients uh, in situations where, for instance, bonuses have been eliminated and sometimes there's 20% salary cuts across the board, all of those mm -hmm. sorts of things. And, uh, and they've been told, look, that's just the way it is right now. This is what we have to do to get through it and we'll examine things later on. And they will. And at some point along the way, there'll be some really, really radical changes. Uh, mm. There are purges. There will be purges coming to a lot of organisations as we begin to come out of all of this present situation. And people, most people, unfortunately, what they will tend to do at a time like this is to say, let me just kind of hunker down and kind of keep my head down and keep out of the firing line and make sure I kind of keep my job if I can. But really interesting to me is the potential lies in the idea that, look, if massive change has to happen, why does it have to happen? It has to happen because in many, many cases, people are in positions of leadership who have lost the edge, lost the zest for leadership. They're there because they want an income. And that's not going to drive, that's not going to help Australia go where it needs to go. We've had many, many years of easy success, many years, the longest in the world of non-recession over non-recessionary period and now here we are facing it for the first time there are a lot of people who are now just basically thinking i better just hang on 
And the trouble is that organizations are not going to have the opportunity to be able to say, well, let's just let old Bill hang on because Bill is kind of, you know, Bill is kind of part of the furniture here and so on. The, uh, the people who are in that sort of situation are in many cases in the near future going to find themselves the subject of a purge because organizations will have to make changes. But individuals, individually, if we will take a level of control of our careers that most people don't, that's the starting point is actually to think in terms of what am I going to do that's different from what everybody else is doing? How do I actually get onto the front foot in this whole thing and begin developing a career that's about contributing to the world I want to see? Post-COVID-19, mm. as we begin to emerge from all of this, how do I help contribute to a society that's, uh, that's as solid and as as well balanced as it can be. What's my contribution? If we think in those terms, then it becomes a matter of simply saying, okay, let's start work on that now. I have uh, I had a client who just started with us yesterday, and this is an example. I think this is a beautiful illustration of the thinking that actually works. He said, said to me, whatever I do right now, I want it to be, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing it, he said, I want it to be about doing something, not not doing something. If, I, if I'm going to make a mistake, I'd rather make a mistake of action because I'll learn from the action. I'll learn from what I do and I'll have a certain level of income. I don't want to make a mistake of just put a hunkering down, I'm trying to hide away. So uh, that to me is just a, a key element to, uh, to actually make these things work in a career right now. There's a lot of change brewing. And if, we're, if, we're, if we're in a position where, where we are, it's totally satisfactory. Now is the time to actually start to do something. Mm, that makes sense. If we you know move to the you know around the strategy part you know so if you can explain us you know what's your definition of a of a great career strategy or just career strategy what should it include and you know uh, I was talking to my mentor uh, Alan Gattenby you know he said that you know the and I, I think the, the the idea of of that five seven ten years plan is is probably fruitless it has ever been fruitless because you don't even know what's going to happen next month and this pandemic has made this absolutely clear is that is this uncertainty and the, the palpable uncertainty i think it was always there we we kept on saying you know the job market is uncertain 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 but now it's palpable it's right in front of our face and in this situation you've got to you know, then there's another field that now you've got to build a longevity of your career. And how do you then build a strategy around the career? Well, I think the important thing here is to actually not think in terms of building a strategy around your career. It's actually to build a strategy around your life. Your life, your career is a part, our careers are a part of our lives. And the ideal here, and, and I believe it's a fundamental precondition for all truly great careers is to make our career conform to and contribute to our vision of a life that's worth living. The life that we want to live, that we want to be able to look back on on our deathbed to say, I gave it my best. I gave it everything I had to give in something that really mattered to me. So if we have a vision, and, and that vision is something that we can contribute to, where we say, look, the world that I see right now is kind of out of focus by comparison to what I need to be. Here's the world that I'd like to see. Here's the world that I see. Here's the part that I see myself playing in making the world as it as I want it to be. 
And maybe I wouldn't carry this in my heart here because and that is going to change in a way. But here's here's the part that really matters to me. I want to play a part in this. If I could use my own example, for instance, for me it's always been immensely motivating to think in terms of how 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 can I help build a world where people are doing where, where people are contributing and focus on contributing rather than getting. If we can mm. focus on my contribution rather than what can I get, uh, then we'll find the contribution and our careers can, can veer as they need to within that. But we're aiming, we've got a consistent point of reference. It's like our own North Star. We've got something that's, this is our point where we can say, this is where I want to contribute. This is my part. If we find that, then we build our career and our career strategy around that. And that strategy is simply our grand plan. Our tactics then have to uh, have to uh, be very, very flexible to deal with. But if strategy is aligned with vision, that's the most important. What are some of the great questions that you could ask yourself, or you know, when you're working with a career guidance counsellor to help you um, understand what that vision might be for yourself, or you know, that contribution that that you want to make? What what are some of the questions that, that people could ask themselves, do you think? Well, I think the, uh, in a sense, uh, Carolina, I'd say it's, it's really the role of the, uh, of the person who's, the, who's providing that support to come up with those questions and be the catalyst in effect. If we, uh, if, if, I mean, I seem to be off the point of the question a little bit, but I'm trying to come back to it. Questions we can ask ourselves, uh, hopefully we will ask them by the time we start working with someone. Uh, and the idea of, of working with colleagues and provide that sort of career support is that they help us refine our clarity. If we're really just completely lost and we don't know where we're going at all, then uh, we have to start at a, at a more fundamental level. But I would be, uh, I, I would be just be suggesting the most fundamental question of all is what do I care enough about to want to do that? Make that my contribution? What matters so much to me? that I would make, happily make my whole contribution around that, that particular aspect of, of human development. If we think of ourselves as a, uh, you know, we're a link between the generations. We've, we've got a debt of gratitude to everyone who's gone before us, to all those who are out there contributing right now, helping to make life better than it has been in the past. We're in debt to all of our ancestors, and we've got a responsibility, we're a link in the chain, we have a responsibility to our posterity, to everything that comes after us, what do I care enough about to make mm. this the focus of my career? That's the that's the fundamental sort of question. And then uh, a uh, career a counselor, consultant, whatever you want to call it, uh, that person can hopefully obviously refine it, the shape of things. Well, how is that going to work in the world of work? How will we bring it back down to where today what should be done? That's mm. the, uh, the essence of things for me. Yes, and listeners, if you've got questions for Russell, please drop it in in the LinkedIn live feed and we will pick up the questions, you know, because you don't get to speak to someone who is this veteran in industry experience as Russell. So please drop in your questions in this one. Um, now, you know, in terms of, you know, a lot of people right now, Russell would, uh, you know, would feel the, the changing world of work also has an impact. Automization, artificial intelligence mm -hmm. to, you know, to robotics and, and machine learning and God knows how many stuff, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. What are what are your thoughts on people who feel that, that you know, a little bit of anxiety about their career and, you know, whether they are, 
whether they are in the right career or not you know how do you how do you answer those questions around the changing world of work in your career I've got a set of technical skills that can be sold in the market. If that's all, if that's all it is, we are on our way to commodity status. We're on our way to a to an unsustainable career because whatever can be productized will be productized, and wherever people can be replaced, they will be replaced because machines are machines. We all know machines don't have to take holidays, and they don't go on strike, and they don't. You know, there's all these sort of reasons why the world of work will eliminate jobs, jobs to eliminate. So it's, it's really, the, it comes down to the same fundamental thing. The anxiety comes from the fact that people don't have their own constant focal point around, this is what my career is all about. If we have that, then answers are over time, we'll end up finding we become less and less, uh, less and less specialized. And, and some, some of the listeners might be familiar with a fellow by the name of Buckminster Fuller. Fuller was a, uh, Fuller was a, hopefully you both not in, maybe both know who Bucky Fuller was, but a uh, very influential chap. Uh, uh, lived and lived and died in the last century. I think he might have died in about 1990-ish or something like that. Uh, but uh, but he lived a rather remarkable life and ended up with about 40 honorary doctorates or something like that, wrote uh, probably a similar number of books. Uh, uh, was interviewed by the US Congress and uh, and it was, it was a much more achiever. He was a remarkable, remarkable man. But he had a comment about uh, being a specialist. He said, specialists are dinosaurs. Now, People will take that more negatively than they should, and I don't think there's a need to take it negatively, but the thing is, dinosaurs were specialized for their environment. When the environment changed as deeply as it did, uh, the dinosaurs weren't able to survive it, and so they basically went away at that point. Our issue here is not to let ourselves become so specialized that we can be specialized out of existence. We start, we need to start that back there at the level of, so what do I really care about? What's my real focus here? Rather than just, a, what is my set of skills? My, what am I, my set of skills is a job focus. And that's not even a career focus because a career a career lasts longer than a job, and the skills that, uh, that we bring to a job today will be obsolete at some point. Uh, so we actually have to think beyond that. We need to think beyond career as well. Come back always to that, that whole question of what is my life about? How does my career, is it the life that I want to live? What's the contribution? What's the difference I want to make? It's funny because I think for a lot of people and, and still now, it, it's so disconnected that what is my life? What is my career? Like the job is a job, the life is a life and the two, you know, I, I do it nine to five, or not as it's yeah. nine to five yeah. anymore, but you know, um, getting people to actually think, well, if I'm, you know, what's my purpose here in a sense yeah. is a real yeah. is a real challenge. And I think, you know, stopping people coming from a point of crisis to a point of I actually have some control over this um, is a real, a real gift to people. But how do you suggest that, you know, people are exploring that kind of question, how do they start to get an inkling of what it is that they they would prefer to do. do? Do you think, you know, volunteering in a different sector, for example, is a good idea, or taking up a hobby, or how do you start to get that broader kind of anything? Anything that yeah, anything that will give us 
wider perspective is good. So volunteering can be good, but I would also say uh, one of the things that most people mistake most terribly about the, uh, the whole the whole issue of any sort of career change is they tend to think in terms of, okay, so let me examine the qualifications that I can get and let me try that. And they'll go and spend money on a qualification and years of their life on getting that qualification and then they'll go out and they'll try and sell themselves into a job that uh, if, the, if the business is interested in hiring people with that particular qualification, they want them to be about 21 years old, maybe 22 or something like that. And here's somebody with uh, at age 42 or 38 or something like that coming out into the market with this fresh qualification saying, I'd like to be one of these, I've got this qualification and so on. And I say, that doesn't compute. I'm looking for somebody 21 who's willing to work 70 hours a week for kind of half the money you're used to making. And so, uh, no, not enough talking. Thanks anyway. Uh, so, so that's so simply, people start at the wrong end of this thing. The thing that actually does work is to think in terms of a sophisticated approach, and not many people have it, it's as rare as can be, a genuinely sophisticated approach to networking, to talking to the right people, Information interviewing sometimes it's referred to as we would all know in those terms, but it's about researching markets of interest, doing this really, really well. I have a client uh, I'm currently working with who uh, he's, uh, he's had a very successful career. He's been the CEO and the CFO and uh, highly successful in his work. He's at a point in his career where he actually he's still in his 40s. He he doesn't ever need to work again. Financially, he's independent. Uh, there's no drive to do it, anything from a work point of view. But he's been looking at, well, what's my contribution? Where do I fit? How do I go forward from here? And because he's been actively networking, and, and we recently had 22 meetings, uh, when you do that in the right way, uh, and he's kind of, you know, he was, this is not a man who would normally be not he normally feels somebody likely to do this kind of thing because he's, he's not uh, he's not an expert he's not the normal professional person who's becoming network but he's doing it in the right way with him a, 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 with a, a focus on gathering perspective and insight and so on he's actually learning some interesting things about himself and about what will stop him and what will interest him and so on and all of a sudden from being uh, somewhat disengaged from the whole process of finding the next role, and that's easy to do when you don't get a need to work again, uh, he's actually starting to get quite excited about it. He's probably going to go in a direction that's different from what he was in business a little while ago. It's because he's talked to and he's continuing to talk to a lot of high caliber people who are helping him flesh out his own perspective. And what tends to come out of that, for those who, uh, who are looking to make a move, there will be another job, as most people will be. Most people will do it through a series of jobs, uh, is that the offers will emerge as well when you do it in the right way. Most people get it completely wrong and think in terms of, okay, so I'm going to go out and network and I'm going to kind of get my foot in the door and try and sell myself. And that's, that's just a horrible, horrible, horrible mistake. Mm. So, in this understanding what the real value of networking is. It's mm. uh, an informational interviewing concept where we're seeking inf insight, perspective, and advice, and so on. And we do it in the right way, uh, the right things tend to emerge on their own. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it, like approaching that scenario with a genuine sincerity and a level of curiosity around yeah. what yeah. somebody might enjoy about their role and how they came to be doing that kind of position and you know making a really informed decision i don't think i don't think many people do it and i i think they don't know 
But on LinkedIn, I mean, Nation and I talk about this all the time, but, you know, there's such a wealth of information about people out there now. Yeah, yeah. Dig deep and go go strategic and go, go in on your targets. So, yeah. Yeah. sorry, Nation, I'd like you're about to jump in there. No, I think uh, I agree, and I was just going to talk to you about um, a recent, uh, you know, podcast that I heard of. Uh, I think we all know Malcolm Dovell, somebody who wrote about the ten thousand. So if you do something ten thousand times, you become master mm -hmm. at that. Mm -hmm. But there's another philosophy which you know when I'm studying my grad cert, uh, you know, around around design thinking and. And there's a book, uh, you know, written by someone. The book's name is Range, and they talk about two other two arguments around. One argument is the um, the woods, the tiger woods. He started to play at probably when he was four years old, and he would do that. And the other argument is Roger Federer, where he was involved just not in tennis. He was involved in a lot of other sports, and out of that, he then selected that. So they were arguing on. You know, it's, it's a fascinating chat about to be specialized to who is who becomes more successful in life people who are generalist or people who are specialist and and it's a fascinating chat you know I'll, I'll, I'll put the link you know into the into the comment screen but that goes to the point that you you know that, that you said about that you know the specialist uh you know ten you know it's in the context of that time yeah and after yeah. a while you lose that then what what else do you do yes he talks in that book i, I read the book as well i think it's a great book it's an absolutely excellent reference for uh anybody who really wants to understand whether it's a good thing or a bad thing to be a generalist or a specialist to understand the pluses and the minuses of both but the uh for me the, uh, the idea that we spend uh, much of our time becoming really, really good at one thing, but not the exclusion of, being, of the big picture is really what's, what's, what comes so most so importantly out of that whole book. The big picture perspective is what allows us to connect the dots and see something because we can only see the thing that we see, the unique contribution we make only comes because we didn't start inside the square. We didn't start there. We might go inside the square at times, but we start the outside the square. We've got broad perspective, and in that broad perspective lies our real capacity to make a transformational contribution. I, I just see it from the point of view that uh, look, I, I think the world is, is only just beginning to edge to respect to the fact that we have uh, most of our most of our journey is yet ahead of us. We've, progressed massively from a technical point of view technology serves us now in ways that were inconceivable even a relatively few years ago and so on but our greatest our greatest developments lie ahead in the whole concept of humanity being connected we're connected in a, a web of relationships and so on that allow us to see things we didn't see and to contribute together we can create we can create paradise on earth all we have to do to really do that is to or understanding, we, we, we can think in terms of what's my contribution? Where do I contribute? How do I? What do I? What insights do I have? What are my insights? Am I interested in getting further? And how can I share them in some way or another? Um, I would absolutely recommend range. Anyway, thank you for mentioning it. I would recommend it to anybody who uh, who's listening to this. I think it's a great book. I just wanted to jump in at this point. If you're watching on YouTube and you like what you're hearing, if you can subscribe and hit the bell for notifications because we will be streaming every day. 
um, I just had to put the plug in for our YouTube channel there, Russell. <laughs> so that's my new skill I'm acquiring um, along this journey as well. So um, going back a little bit, you know, going back to what you've done in your career, what, what advice would you give to your younger self, do you think? My younger self? Um, yeah. that's, a, that's a really good question. I've actually, uh, I haven't thought about that one for a while. I, uh, I, I you know, one stage, um, go through an exercise where I wrote a, a letter to my uh, youngest self. It was written from the point of view of the years down the track, uh, when I would be uh, looking back and saying, this is what I would, this is what I'd like to tell this person now, that kind of thing. Uh, anyway, I think the concept, the concept is really good. And the advice I give for my, to my younger self, don't be so cautious. Don't be so cautious. Be more ready to embrace change, embrace the unknown, and to understand that our greatest mistakes, generally speaking, in our careers, are the mistakes of omission, not the mistakes of commission. The mistakes that we made by acting, we can usually learn from, and we can. And, and as long as we don't hurt other people, if we hurt other people, sometimes we can't withdraw that hurt, we can't undo that. You've got to be careful that we don't hurt other people through what we do. But in terms of my biggest mistakes, I like it to be things that I didn't do. I, uh, I had a chap who worked with us many, many years ago, uh, and uh, he'd been a medical specialist working with people often on their deathbed, and he ended up coming into our field and working in our field because he he described his, his experience led him to that around the idea that there were so many people on their deathbeds and I would always hear about their regrets. Their regrets were for the things that they hadn't done, not for mm. the things that they had done. So that's the advice I give my younger self. Don't be so cautious. Move faster. Move fast. Use <laughs> a bit of a bit of Mark Zuckerberg's advice uh, years ago. I don't think he does it any longer. I think Facebook's moved beyond that now, but move fast and break things. Be prepared to move on. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We can recover from we can recover from those. We can't get back to the years of our lives that we waste by sitting on our hands, simply waiting and hoping that things will get better. Waiting and hoping doesn't work. Yeah. And I think I think we have seen that, right? And I think it, you know, if you're in the startup world you know the lean startup uh, methodology talks about fail fast you know do experiment fail fast you know and, and then go back to the drawing board i think that is what what it is all about you know, we got a question from Alin that you know your russell and my journey uh, indicate that we have changed our path from what you started that is absolutely right uh, so does it mean that you have your first job have some financial stability and then continue to have follow your passion and or how did you both decide that it is the thing you want to do now and what were you doing so far i'll probably take that on quickly and then russell will take your uh, you know comment as well look you know when you, when you talk about it it's an interesting question because one of the things that i've always uh, you know thought about i've spoken to kb also in detail that a lot of the lot of the public speakers or philosophers not so much philosophers but the motivational gurus out there they get their their aha moment when they have filled the reach and they have achieved everything right and i feel that you know hang on no, 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 it's it's okay right it, uh, you know it's okay for you to now 
tell your Ferrari and become a mom. Right? It's easy in a in, in a sense, right? Because you don't you, you you don't have to worry about you know your financial well-being. You don't have to worry about your children's financial well-being because that's all taken care of, and then you follow the passion. The real challenge, in my view, lies that you follow the path irrespective of the situation that you find yourself in, and that is that I genuinely feel that that is what I'm following. If you talk about financial stability, I don't even know what it means. Currently, my house is owned by a bank, not me. That's what you call financial stability, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, will I be? Will I have to work more? Absolutely, I'll probably have to work more than uh, you know. The water retirement ages, but what what it meant for me is that when I when I tell people it comes from genuine experience. It's not coming from that I've achieved everything. I don't have struggled with that, and now this is what I can give you the advice. I'm not sitting on a high end or you know in a high chair and then looking at people and saying now this is what you got to do. I think that is where I find my. You know my true north that I'm equally struggling in a lot of the aspects, a lot of our struggles. Uh, but the only difference is that I'm aware of it a little bit, and I'm continuously trying out different ways to solve that. Uh, hope that Bali answered your question. Russell, what's your take on that? I would measure. I would probably have to say almost exactly the same things as you. Look, uh, my biggest changes in life have uh, tended to come when uh, when well, they just had to. They needed to. It wasn't. They've never been. My my changes in, in that regard have never been from a point of view of uh, I know what I'm going to do now because I'm sitting here filthy rich and I've got my Ferrari and I think I might sell my Ferrari and become a monk or something like that. Uh, I did. I, I suppose I could say the one exception to that was when I left Arby's behind, I had been extravagantly overpaid. I had tried to resign from the organization after after being through a takeover, uh, and, uh, and the new CEO said he had to keep me. He was the person I, I was the person that made the company what it was. I ended up, uh, uh, he, he said, what's it going to take to keep you? And I ended up. Foolishly, because I didn't want to stay, I wanted to go, I needed to go. I thought, look, I can, I can just nominate a few ridiculously beyond what I'm currently making. And I was really highly paid as a senior executive. I thought, I'll nominate a few that's far beyond that, beyond the pale, beyond all, all common sense forever, and so that'll be the end of it. And uh, it ended all right, but not the way I expected, because he still sat there and looked for a moment and said, okay. And I ended up basically, I, I caught myself, I trapped myself. I ended up having to stay two more years. And I stayed two more years. So when I left, I was pretty cashed up. I was really cashed up. I was in a position to take a few years off if I wanted to do that. And I ended up doing that. And because I because I had it, I spent it. And because of my, and when it was spent, and I was almost gone anyway, that was when I finally ended up having the attachment that suddenly brought that blinding flash of the obvious of, oh, look, here's what I wanted to do. I, I, I think I might have mentioned I met uh, with a colleague I've studied with in the UK, um, and he had since come to Australia, and we found it and developed a chain of recruitment consultancies. So he had some insights about executives and professionals in their lives and their careers and so on that I hadn't got because I wasn't him and I didn't have that kind of background. And as much as I've known and lived then in that world and so on, I didn't know what he knew. And when I found it and when I realized it, I thought, oh, well, all of a sudden I know what I wanted to do. I, but I didn't have a big pile of assets or anything like that at that point. I'd actually been prepared to, uh, to say, let's 
let go of all that because I have to find what I want to do. That's what matters. And my other changes uh, along the way were um, you know, kind of similar, like leaving Australia. I left Australia with basically nothing. I had sold, uh, the last thing I did was to sell my car after I got the family into a home, and that gave me just enough money to get across to the UK so that I could go and study and so on. So I started from, from scratch. And then uh, leaving the ministry, I really described what that was like and so on. So don't let money stand in the way. If we want to do something, we've got to be bold enough to do it. Boldness will be your friend if you let it. Mm. I guess you learn so much without a safety net, don't you? I think I think my, my greatest day was when I quit the corporate world with no job to go to and actually not a real clear idea of what I actually wanted to do as well. So, um, But you do, when you, when you don't have a safety net, when there's nothing there, that's where you have the greatest level of learning. You've just got to sometimes pull that rug out and see what happens, basically. I know that's not practical advice if you're got a mortgage and financial commitments, but it is a great way to learn. So. Yeah, so and I, can, I can just comment on that. I'm not suggesting being reckless. I am suggesting being bold. Bold and reckless are not the same thing. We mm. just have to, uh, this, is, uh, this is serious stuff, and uh, I, don't think, I don't think we can give advice that anybody should say, or now as a result of this passion, I know what I should do. Um, mm. uh, these are sort of principles. The principle is you need to operate from our inner guidance and what do I want to do and how do I do that? And that can mean, uh, that may well mean that uh, you, you end up taking a bit more of a deliberate approach because we say that's the best way to get to where I want to go. But, uh, but at the end of the day, if you haven't got anything uh, and you're under pressure, it doesn't mean you can't find what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Excellent. All right, Russell. Look, you know, we are just about to finish. Uh, thank you very much. I think it's fascinating to pick up your your ideas and insights. Uh, you know, and thank you very much for joining us. And sorry, everyone, because of the technical glitch, we started a little bit late. But don't worry, you can still go back and watch if you've joined it late. You can still go back and watch the whole thing. Uh, and uh, yes, Caroline, anything you want to say before we wrap up? Um, no, just thank you very much for joining us, Russell. It's uh, been absolutely fascinating to, to have you talk to our audience and um, learn from your uh, insights as well. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you, uh, Caroline. Thank you, Nature. It's been a pleasure for me to be here too. Uh, I'll leave you all and uh, wish you all, all the best. Bye for now. Thank you very much, everyone. And yes, uh, today, tonight, we will be, uh, you know, speaking to Matt Warzel. So 10 p.m. Melbourne time, uh, you might have to get, I don't know, coffee, tea, uh, vodka, gin, red wine, I don't know what. But please make sure that you are there 10 p.m. Melbourne time. We are dismantling the 2020 resumes. What are the best practices around 2020 resumes. So tune in today, 10 p.m. Until that, stay safe, everyone. We'll see you in six hours' time again. Bye for now. Bye, everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Your Career Down Under show. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to know more about how Your Career Down Under can help you, please reach out to us on www.yourcareerdownunder.com.au 
and if you have got a question about today's episode or if you want us to do a particular show on a particular topic please reach out to us we would love to do that until next time be well